0: Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is Managing Editor James Kleiman to talk about challenges in two areas that should be very bright spots for those in mortgage refis and mortgage servicing rights. James, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Hey, good to be back, Sarah.
0: Great to have you back. We've got lots of things to talk about. The first one I wanted to talk about was a story by Flavia Furlan Nunez, which was talking about the next refi boom and some of the challenges that could come with that, of course, we would love to our our industry would love to see mortgage rates go down enough that a refi boom was possible. Um, but there are some considerations there. Walk us through that story.
1: Yeah, so obviously these are very difficult times for lenders. And loan originators' rates remain above seven percent, and it looks like they'll remain a little bit more elevated than most analysts and industry professionals had expected. Uh, but eventually, the market is going to turn, and we are going to get back to seeing rates in the five percent range. And look, even in the low six percent range, we're going to have some semblance of a refi market. You remember what that is? Yeah, it's, it's been a while. Uh, but now, so when rates do drop, the pipeline of purchase transactions from 2022 and 2023, those are going to be in the money for significant savings through a refi. And so let's look at it this way. So excluding some home builder mortgages, virtually everybody who got a purchase mortgage in 2022 or 2023, it's going to be elevated, right? They have pretty high coupons. And so now you have tens of thousands of borrowers who are in the money, and they're going to be looking at refi opportunities If and when rates drop, you know, generally speaking, more than fifty basis points, probably given fees and and other factors, maybe seventy-five basis points is is kind of the magic number when we start looking at uh, a lot of potential refis in twenty twenty-four, maybe twenty twenty-five. Like I said, we don't exactly know what the timeline is going to look like. That Uh, if we did, we'd probably not be working these jobs, right? We'd be doing very different work. Uh, But anyway, so so getting back to the point here. If you're an LO, ultimately that pipeline of purchase transactions that you did over, say, like, let's say the last six to nine months, they're all going to be in the money for a significant amount of savings. And if you're a branch or you are, I don't want to say the victim, but, but let's say those borrowers do refi, you might be on the hook if they do so too quickly. And so basically the way it works is after a loan is funded, the lender usually sells it to an investor who pays a price and they're expecting a long-term return, right? If the borrower pays the loan within just a few months, the investor's return is not going to materialize. And so the EPO fee serves as a means for investors to recoup a portion of their initially projected returns. And so these penalties are typically imposed on lenders when the borrower pays off their return, pays off their loans within four to six months after taking them out, uh, but in some cases it can be up to a year. And so, in turn, the lender, you know, who has deals with investors when they sell those loans, right? They charge the branches and/or the loan officer these penalties depending on the company structure. And so, an EPO penalty could be three to five percent, up to three percent of the individual loan pricing. And that's going to be thousands of dollars for most loans. And some of the lenders, they negotiate these fees with the investors when the loan is delivered to them after the refi transaction, but not all. Uh, and you know, I think it's worth noting that some of the agencies in recent years, Ginnie Mae in particular, have made it a lot more difficult for EPOs to even occur. And they've done that by requiring borrowers to wait much longer before refinancing their loans, usually a year, Right but some proportion of loans are always going to pay off early. Uh, And and so if you look at Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, just in terms of cash out refis, which are basically the only refis that happen right now, uh, they introduced rule changes in 2023 this year, stipulating that borrowers must wait 12 months to get new cash outs after purchasing a house or getting a rate term refi or getting a cash out refi. And so, you know, there's a lot going on here. It's not currently a challenge with this market, There's something like only 1% of loans, you know, would even potentially be in the conversation for an EPO. It's really a story that looks at, we know that there is going to be a refi market. When that happens, what are the conditions that would potentially spur major EPO problems? We haven't seen major EPO problems really since probably 2020, 2021. Uh, And and that was really a different kind of issue. That, That was what we call churning where an LO is deliberately trying to get a borrower to pay off a loan and get a new loan multiple times so that they can, you know, get more in fees. That would probably not be uh, something to worry about even in 2024, even in 2025, because it's, it's just so unlikely that we're going to see, you know, rates drop from like, what were they, 4 point something percent you know, to 2 point something percent in just a couple months. So that's not really the fear here. The fear is really, if you are an LO and you have a lot of prospective borrowers that are in the money and rates do drop precipitously over the course of say six months, you know, how many of them are potentially going to refi and what is your liability? And moreover, what about the lender Uh, and and some of the, the policies that they have in place with their investors?
0: Well, and I think the interesting thing is, um, as Flavia talks about in the story, you know, a lot of people um, who bought in the last, say, six months, a year have been told by their, uh, rightly, by their, uh, maybe their real estate person or the um, lender, like, hey, you know, buy the house and then we'll refi, you know, Uh, what is it? Marry the house, date the rate, something like that, um, that it's not forever. But I mean, you have to manage that because um, obviously you could, you know, the LOs, who did that, their their commission could be gone if it's too fast. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that, that is absolutely correct. I, I mean, that phrase that you hear so often, which is, I believe it's date the rate, marry the house, um, is, is almost like word art, you know, something like you see on like cheesy Airbnb listings for real estate agents, NLOs, and, and look like they're not wrong. You know, if, if their clients are, let's say they have a rated 6.8% and a couple of months later, they're down to six point one percent because maybe the Fed decides that uh, you know they've been on the pain train long enough, and jobs start falling, and uh, you know there there are compelling reasons to not only hold uh, the federal funds rate but actually start cutting rates. You know we could absolutely see a scenario in which you know rates drop significantly, right? You could absolutely see rates dropping another 75 basis points. They're already in the 71s, seven 7.2 range. You know, would anyone be shocked if rates were 6.5, four or five months from now? I mean, it's possible. Uh, I think generally most people expect them to gradually drop, but but yeah, that's absolutely a scenario. And so if you're the LO, you're the real estate agent, you probably feel like you have a responsibility to tell your client and help them save money But you also want to make sure to have the careful conversation about, you know, Hey, can you make sure that you wait six months, right? So that everyone's in the clear because your commission might entirely get wiped out if it's five months and 20 days. Uh, And that's because the investors are entitled to that money based on the agreements made between the LO, the lender, the branch, sometimes the borrower. Um, But, but that's really the scenario That a lot of these LOs are going to have to be careful about, and it really starts with communication, right? If you're a good LO and you keep in touch with your borrowers, if you have a decent CRM, you have the tools that most LOs have available to, you know, highlight to spot when rates drop seventy five basis points to make sure that if that borrower does decide to pay off the loan early, that they're going to go through you. The bigger problem here that Double whammy would be, and this is the most likely scenario, unfortunately, is let's say the borrower gets a 6.8% mortgage in March and the Federal Reserve in June is like, oh God, oh God, hey, you know, we kind of broke something here. So we are going to drop the rates, you know, 50 basis points and then another 25 the next month you know and they're going to be dropping the the federal funds rate pretty significantly that's only a couple months after your client got what was a pretty normal rate at the time they are much more likely to go with somebody else than some than than to refi with you the retention rate of the industry is really the problem here we would not be talking about epos if every lender did the right thing and got in front of their existing clients Uh, But only 20% of the time do you see refi transactions with the same lender. So 80% of the time that borrower goes elsewhere. And it's going to be most likely to, to be a larger challenge for the lenders that sold all their servicing rights. And if you look around the landscape, a lot of IMBs, especially the smaller players, like there's no way for them to keep the servicing rights on the books because they have to free up cash just to keep the lights on. Right. Uh, and, and this is going to have some downstream effects. And so, you know, like let's say you're a smaller company, you've negotiated with investors to exempt your company from some of these penalties. Uh, you know, if let's say you sell more of these loans to investors as a preferred partner, um, you know, you have to make sure that you're not going to get a wave of EPOs because then you're going to have to go back to those same LOs that are still struggling, still working hard for you. And you're going to say, Hey, I got to claw back your commission over the last two or three months. And that's going to put you in a really bad position. And you might just lose good LOs um, because they don't have 20 grand or 30 grand to cough up, right? They're living paycheck to paycheck. So so that's really the heart of the issue that we're looking at right now. And so you have to look at your investor policies before you start looking at the retention initiatives.
0: So it'd be best to get in front of this and know what you're doing on the front end, right? And um, Because like you said, oh, uh, it'd be great if, if they went through you. But the, uh, to your point, like if you're a borrower, what might be best for you is refining. And you're not even aware that there's an early payoff, you know, problem for the person that that you did the the loan with. And in some cases you may not, you know, care or or, or whatever. It's like what's best for you is like, oh, you you are going to get this lower monthly rate. And that's what your expect expectation was the whole time when you bought in that high rate of higher rate environment was like, oh, it's okay. You know, in, in a year or two I'll be able to do this. So I guess the only thing you can really do is get in front of it as as we get into 2024. Like you said, your investor guidelines, but it feels like there's not that much that LOs can do about this.
1: I mean, really it's just being disciplined, being smart, making sure that you are sending the right communication out to borrowers when rates do drop, you know, when they are gonna drop. And so a lot of that is preparing, it's setting up good systems now. It's making sure that you are uh communicating if let's say you're a team leader or you have you know a brokerage, um that you're you're making sure that all the LOs that uh, that have their license with you are, are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing, and you know the, the best indication of being a good LO is that you get repeat clients, right? If you're only a one and done for most of your client base, it, it I think it speaks to um, kind of fundamental problems in how you structure your your larger business strategy. So it shouldn't be a problem, and in some cases, look like. Lots of really good LOs get EPOs, and there's nothing they can do about it. You know, you you have a client, and they get a crazy job offer they didn't expect. Four months later, they sell their house in Oregon and they move to North Carolina. Like, wh- are you going to tell them, "Hey, look, Bob, like, great, I'm I'm so proud, I'm so glad for you, but can you wait two months to do this because I'm going right. to have to give back the commission"? Like, that's not their problem, you know, and and this is just. One of the risks that you run, even if you've done everything right, you can still absolutely be a victim of an EPO that is just kind of happenstance. But generally speaking, I think if you have a good process, if you're communicative with your lender and you understand the agreement that the lender has with the investors and you get out in front of it, you should be okay. And and like I said, this is not a problem that really anybody has to worry about for at minimum Six months, unless there is some crazy event that totally rocks the economy, and we have so many, so many people who are suddenly looking at five percent rates, you know, because something broke. uh, Which, you know, you probably have different problems at that stage. You're probably not as concerned about EPOs because you just haven't done enough volume for that to matter in the last couple months. So, yeah, I mean, these are multifaceted problems, but for most people, most LOs, these problems won't even occur until. I'd say at at the earliest period Q two, late Q2, 2024, more likely 2025, even. So we're we're just getting ahead of the story. You know, we're we're doing our work and preparing and making sure that uh that L O S are aware of some of the issues here and that, you know, the investors are
0: too. No, it it's a great point. And you know, gosh, I hope we see lower rates before then. But to your point to to really see that drop in a short period of time. We don't know when that's going to happen or if that's going to happen again in in the near term. So, you know, the other story I wanted to uh, talk about was on a topic that we have done a lot of different kinds of reporting on, and that's on the agency loan repurchases that we've seen. Um, Starting in the spring, we really started to hear about this. It was addressed at different industry conferences. Your um, newsroom has talked to people. I've talked to people. You've talked to people about like, what is really going on here and we have a story uh, today that's out that really sees how it's rippling through the MSR market. So it feels like this story just keeps going. Um, talk a little bit about that and what we see.
1: Yeah. So obviously, this has been a major problem on the originations front. And you have a lot of independent mortgage banks in particular who feel like they've been unjustly targeted by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, of course. The GSEs deny this, and they say we are just looking through, uh, you know, our our loans and, and making sure that they reach the standard uh, that you agreed to. And if there is a defect, you should have been better at your job the first time, right? So, primarily, this is affecting kind of the origination segment because it represents a major cash flow issue. If you are a smaller lender and you have to buy back a series of loans that. You, know, you thought we were probably fine right these are in most cases loans that you were you were doing in 2020 2021 uh, and so it's just it's just a very very challenging issue because it has such a long tail um, and because the mortgage market is is so intertwined with everything else right you know the secondary market, doesn't exist in a vacuum. Just as the primary mortgage market isn't purely just, hey, you are a borrower, I am selling you a mortgage. Thank you for getting my mortgage. I'm going to keep it on my books, and uh, we'll, we'll talk later when you need me or you have a question about something in escrow or, you know, your taxes go up or something and you have a question. No, typically I'm going to sell, uh, you know, the MBS, and and in a lot of cases the borrower doesn't even know, you know, the originator from the servicer, and so. When we talk about the MSR side of things and really the secondary impact, it's not exactly a pronounced issue right now for the vast majority of MSR uh, portfolios that are trading. You know, we're we're still on track for about a trillion dollars in MSR deals this year, which is about roughly where they were last year. Uh, That's a really healthy market. Prices also have been really good. However, the industry players who spoke with senior reporter Bill Conroy, they did agree that the level of repurchase demands has increased this year and that is having an impact on some buyers and sellers of MSR portfolios. Now, I want to mention that they also stressed that agency repurchase demands are not negatively affecting the overall volume, you know, of those MSR deals that are going through and they're not affecting the prices, but on the margins especially with the smaller struggling lenders, a repurchase risk can result in more loans being excluded from those MSR pools offered for sale. And so again, if you're already having trouble on kind of the primary market side and then you think, okay, well, I need to sell my servicing rights to free up some cash. If you have say 10%, 15% of your deals that are getting excluded from MSR pools. then that's going to affect the structure of the deals, because you know the investors are going to have to account for their rep and warranty liability exposure, and so that's going to change your pricing. So you know, good pricing these days for really like a solid pristine deal is going to be about a five point five multiple range at this point. But again, if you're a smaller counterparty and the likelihood that there is going to be a loan repurchase demand is higher, you're not going to get that return and you're going to have to go through a lot of due diligence and, you know, where you fall on the waterfall in terms of exposure from Fannie and Freddie uh, is also going to affect the likelihood of a deal going through and, and what kind of deal you're even able to make. And so, yeah, I mean, it's a real threat. It's a real challenge. I would not say that this is something that is affecting the biggest originators, um, but we have a lot of smaller companies in the mortgage origination space. They are important companies. You know, the vast the vast majority of people go to hundreds of different lenders. You know, UWM only has, what, 8% of the overall mortgage market on originations, do uh, U- by the way, UWM is also typically an MSR seller. Uh, you know, so it's such a fragmented market, if you wipe out, you know, hundred, hundred solid lenders from you know numbers 101 through two hundred, I'm not saying that that's the case here, but you know, lenders that don't have the scale uh, that a UWM, a Rocket, a Loan Depot, a guarantee Rate, et cetera, et cetera, have, um, they're getting hit on the first side, right? The originations. Game they have to have the cash available to fund operations, and then on the secondary side when they go to sell the loan, if they're also not able to get the sort of pricing that they need, and you know it, it really, it can really make for a very difficult environment. And, and for what it's worth, you think about the larger picture, which is if they want to raise money from outside investors to keep doing business, they can't do that either because there's just not a lot of interest in funding a mortgage bank you know in 2023 when rates are in the in the low to mid 7s and nobody knows you know if things are going sideways or down so yeah i mean like i said this is not i don't want to be alarmist this is not something that is affecting most msr deals most players on msr deals uh, but it is something that the investors are scrutinizing very heavily, and and something that is affecting a lot of the smaller players pretty dramatically.
0: I had uh, Dave Stevens on this podcast recently, um, and you know we just talked about just the how tough it is right now for um, those IMBs, right? But especially the smaller ones. Um, the repurchase are are hitting them hard anyway, and they've got a lot of things going on so you know when we talk about even like okay, um at some point next year you know rates are gonna fall enough to do refis, but like you just gotta make it through from here to there too and the smaller you are, it's possible that that is you know it's going to be a, a tough winter so we hate that for the industry, we hate to see even more. Um, whatever small amount this is, is going to, like you said, affect those people, um, those companies the most.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's no refi boom if you don't survive you know, getting into 2024, 2025. And we, we know from the MBA and several other data providers that the average independent mortgage bank is not making money per loan. And the servicing has really been what's keeping the significant number of them even afloat. And so you remove some of the advantages that they've had, just in the fact that the servicing market has been so strong. And, you know, I, it's hard to envision a lot of them holding on for much longer when you pile on just the fact that there are so few refi opportunities. The refi market now is less than 10% of the pie. That's, Probably a historic low. I have to think. I haven't looked uh, in in a couple months, but I mean, something like nine percent of originations now are refis, and and those are really good business opportunities for you know all kinds of lenders, but especially the smaller lenders. And then you factor in all of the issues they've had with the GSEs going after you know, vintage 2020, 21, 22 loans. And you can find a defect in almost every loan, according to a lot of the folks that I've spoken to. And then you also look at some of the other scale-related issues. You you think about some of the technology providers that you've probably relied on. They haven't yet, but they're probably going to be increasing their prices, right? And then you look at how many of your good LOs have probably fled for competitors. Uh, Then you also consider... The fact that credit reports are more expensive, you know, you, you, any advantage that you've had, any any foothold that you've had in a market that is, you know, in a normal year already pretty choppy and and difficult. Like in the average year, you know, mortgage is not the easiest business to operate or make money in. Right? I, I would I would absolutely do something else uh, if I were to start a business. I mean, who's crazy enough to start a mortgage business today? Right? Let alone a small one. And so you make so many of the conditions. That they're normally able to at least handle, maybe not with full grace or, <laughs> you know, um, you know, perfect harmony, but they're gone now, and so you're you're left with a lot of problems, and I, I just don't think a lot of them are going to be able to make it to June or whenever that market really does change, and if they do how many refi opportunities are going to be available to them if they've sold all their servicing rights and it's Mr. Cooper and uh, Penny Mac and, you know, all kinds of others that, that already have the the leg up. So yeah, real, real tough road to hoe.
0: Wow. Well, thank you for uh, coming on explaining um, what you guys are writing about in these uh, two very specific issues as always, James, really appreciate you. Well, cool. thanks for having me, Sarah. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show or leave a comment. We'll see you back here on Monday for more news and insight.